God's Word this morning, because that is the, uh, the thing we're here for. So I want to invite you this morning to take out your Bible, as we always do at this time, and I would ask you to meet me in Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to meet me in your Bible in Ephesians chapter 4. As you're making your way there, um, I want you to know that starting next Sunday, we're going to dive into a, a new series of studies uh, that... Um, <laughs> Uh, everything's tentative anymore, right? But, but tentatively speaking is going to take us through the spring and, and the summer months, um, and we're going to be studying together the books of Ruth and Esther. Uh, I love teaching the Old Testament. I love teaching narrative. I've never taught either of those books. And we're going to spend about 18 or 20 weeks going through the stories of Ruth and Esther and these just phenomenal uh, women that God used to literally, the series is called World Changers, to literally change the course of human and Christian history. And I'm so excited to get there. I've had so much fun preparing for it when I've been coherent enough to do it. Uh, but that's next week. Today, again, usually when I come back from my study break at the beginning of the year, I like to just start with a kind of a one-off, just something to hopefully kickstart us. And I realize it's February 28th, but it's the beginning of the year for me at this point. And so before we go to Ruth and then we look at Esther, I want to spend our time together this morning here in Ephesians. And specifically what we're going to do in God's Word this morning is we're going to look at one verse of Scripture, okay? One single verse of Scripture. I'm going to incorporate some others. I'm going to make reference to some others. But for our purposes this morning, again, just during the last month when I was studying, actually early on in January, I came across something um, that was so moving to me. We actually used it in one of our Wednesday morning prayer times, but something so stirring and challenging to me in Ephesians 4.1 that I thought, I, I just want to share it with you. And I, and I hope that it both edifies and encourages and challenges you as it has done me. And it is, again, from this single verse, Ephesians 4.1, where if you'll look at your Bible now with me, this is what the Word of God says. The Apostle Paul is writing. He is in prison as he does so. And he is writing to a church that he has near and dear to his heart in a city called Ephesus. And this is how he begins what is in our Bible, chapter 4. Therefore, I... The prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, that's so short, I'm going to read it again. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, I want you to know as we begin this morning that despite his reputation, his well-deserved reputation as a master theologian, as perhaps unparalleled in church history, as a, as a student and a, and a preacher and a teacher of God's word, the Apostle Paul was at the same time, and this is a part of him that I think often gets overlooked in favor of the theological brilliance that he possessed, but the Apostle Paul was a man who firmly believed in both the knowing and the doing of God's word. The knowing and the doing of God's word. And the reason I say that to you this morning is, perhaps, is because that is perhaps nowhere more clear than right here in Ephesians 4.1. Because if you, if you simply look at, at the book of Ephesians yourself, you would see, and it's, it's not a secret, there's nothing mysterious about it, but Ephesians 4.1 is the literal midpoint of this letter. There are three chapters that come before it, and there are three chapters that come after it. But as the literal midpoint of this letter... What I want you to know is that in addition to just dividing it in half in a general sense, 
What Ephesians 4.1 does, and every commentator worth his or her salt under the sun agrees with this, it, it has two distinct but complementary themes. And every co- theologian and commentator under the sun has their own way of describing it. But it's a matter of this. For some would say the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all about doctrine, which they are. Well, the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all about duty, putting what we've learned into practice. Others say it's about about calling and conduct, about profession and then practice, about our wealth in Christ and our walk with Christ, about our riches in Christ and our responsibilities to Christ. There's all sorts of clever and not so clever ways to describe it, but whatever way you prefer, whatever designation most uh, sort of fires you up, the bottom line message is clear. What Paul wants us to know in Ephesians 4.1 is this, that an authentic, coherent, congruent Christian life, that is to say one that is moving toward maturity, is a matter of both hearing and doing. A matter of both hearing and doing. Yes, it is essential to sit and listen. Yes, it is essential to kneel and pray. Yes, it is essential when you are instructed to do so, to stand and worship the Lord in song together. But in order to grow and in order to glorify him, in order to make a difference as a follower of Jesus Christ, there comes a time in all of our walks on a regular basis when we must do what it says on the screen behind me. It's time to rise and walk. We sit and listen, but then we must rise and walk. And that is the distinction, or that is the link that Paul is is making in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. But what I learned from Eugene Peterson in his wonderful book, Practice Resurrection, I will mention that next year because I didn't finish it last year, but Practice Resurrection by Eugene Peterson, where I was first sort of alerted and awakened to what Paul's really saying in this verse, there's more to it than that. It's more than simply doctrine and duty of of preaching and and, and practice. There's something more going on in this verse that that in the English translation and at first glance we can't see. And so that is why this morning we're not just going to look at one verse of God's Word, we're really just going to look at one word in God's Word. And that word we're going to look at in Ephesians 4.1 this morning is the word worthy. Everybody say worthy. worthy. Maybe you want to write it down, but the word worthy is what we're here to talk about. And that is where this picture on the screen behind me comes in. Because in the original Greek language of the New Testament, the word worthy, you can see it up there, is axios. You just say it exactly like it looks. A-X-I-O-S, axios. And, And here's what Eugene Peterson has to say about that word that I found so engaging when he said, quote, an axios in the original Greek language in the Greek world was a set of balancing scales, the kind, again, like you see on the screen behind me, formed by a crossbeam, balanced on a post, with pans suspended from each end of the beam. He goes on to say, so, for instance, you would place a lead weight of, say, one pound in one pan, and then begin to measure flour out into the other pan until the two pans are in what? They are in balance with one another. They are balancing scales. He goes on to say, thus, when the flour in one pan balances the one pound lead weight in the other, the two items, lead and flour, are axios. They are worthy. When one pan equals the other, you have balance, you have axios. It is called, at least in those days, 
worthy. Peterson continues. He says, the two things and the two pans can be as different as lead and flour, but they fit together. And then he adds, and the items balance in the Ephesians scales are God's calling and human living. Listen again to the verse. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy axios according to in keeping with the calling with which you have been called. Peterson then concludes by saying thus, when our our walking and God's calling are in balance, we are whole. We are maturing. We are axios. We are living a worthy Christian life. Life. In other words, let me boil it down. That's a lot of talk, a lot of illustration. Let me put it in one simple sentence that I can remember, and I bet you can too. As a follower of Jesus Christ, live according to what you know. As a follower of Jesus Christ today, live not, not out of, not from, not similar to, according to, in equal measure, in worthy balance to what you know. Whatever you learn from God, put into action for God. Not someday, but today. This day, as he shows it to you, because what Paul wants us to know in Ephesians 4.1 is that that is the mark of a maturing Christian life. Of a balanced Christian life. Of a worthy Christian life. As I've thought about that, I've, it's occurred to me that that in one respect, we ought to, and I hope you do, find that inspiring. Because what it means, among many other things, is that whether you've known the Lord Jesus for a week or a lifetime, you can start right where you are today. Whatever God shows you, whatever he reveals to you, whatever he ministered to your heart as we were singing or the scriptures were read, uh, whatever you may hopefully take from this morning's sermon or your morning devotions or whatever it is, you can just take it and put it into practice and you are on your way toward a worthy walk with Jesus. And if you've known him for a lifetime and you've got all sorts of knowledge already, you can learn something new and you can live according to what you know. You just start where you are and you're on your way. I find that inspiring. I also find it inviting I also find and urge you to find it inviting as well because what it also means is this, is that the more you learn, the more you can do, the more glory God gets, the more you grow, the nearer you get to his heart, and the more others will see the life of Jesus replicated in you. It is inspiring. It is also progressive. It's a path, a journey, I would say an adventure we can go on that doesn't have to stop this side of of heaven. The more I learn and then I practice, the closer I grow to the Lord. Now, with that in mind, here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. And this is different, but but it's not weird, okay? But I'm going to ask you to do something we don't normally do in a Sunday morning sermon. And don't worry, you don't have to touch anybody, okay? Okay? What I want to do for the next few minutes, and, and, and Jeff's just going to make the screen blank behind me, 
is with that being so, the message is walk, live according to what you know. Walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Seek to live in a way that brings the scales of what God shows you and what you do for him into closer balance. Understanding that that is the message of this verse, for the next couple of minutes, here's what I want you to do. If you're a note taker, set down your pen. I don't want you to write down anything I'm about to say. If you're looking at your phone, flip it over and set it aside. Don't pick it up. It'll be okay. It'll be there when, you, when, when we're done, okay? If you've got your Bible, just set it in your lap or set it to the side. What I want to do just for the next minute or two is simply from Ephesians 1 through 3, ask you to listen to some of what Paul says about our calling. 1 through 3, the calling of God. What have we been called to? What have we been given in Christ? And I just want you to listen. Maybe it'll help to close your eyes and, and just let the truth of God's word. See, my, my concern is if we try to write all this stuff down, you won't actually listen to what I'm about to say. And really, it's not about what I'm about to say. It's what God's word says. But for just a minute, I want you to listen to what Paul says in the first three chapters of this letter about our calling. Here we go. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says that you were chosen before creation to live a holy life. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, we were predestined to adoption as daughters and sons of our Heavenly Father. In chapter 1, verse 7, we are told we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and in doing so granted full forgiveness of sins. Chapter 1, verse 11 says we've obtained an eternal inheritance, one that will not fade, will not rust, but is waiting for us in glory when we go to Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 13 says you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. What God has given to you and done for you can't ever be taken away from you. Chapter 2, verse 5 says though we were dead, we are now made alive together in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 6 says in a positional spiritual way, we have been seated with him in the heavenlies. In other words, there's a chair in heaven reserved for you. You're going to sit with Jesus. That's your saved place. Chapter 2, verse 10 says that we as believers were created for good works, that God has things that he desires for us to do. Chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15 say we've been reconciled to God and also to one another. Chapter 2, verse 18 says that as believers we have been granted limitless access to our Heavenly Father's attention. And in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, we are granted the opportunity each and every day to experience the limitless love of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. Now, that's some of what Paul says in the first three chapters about our calling. It's, it's only a, a portion of what the rest of the New Testament says about our calling as followers of Jesus Christ but I don't know about you, I, I think it's pretty phenomenal. Our calling is a big deal. Our calling is a big deal. But again, I want you to think about the balancing scales. It's calling and it's conduct. The rest of the letter of the Ephesians, Paul says now, live according to what you know. What he has shown you, put into practice. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. So, set your pen back down. Don't pick up your Bible or your phone yet. Let me give you a survey of chapters 4 through 6. 
and just invite you to listen to what Paul says, that walk, that worthy axios walk we are called to is supposed to look like and what God has empowered us to do. Here we go again, chapter 4, verse 2. Our walk with Jesus Christ is to be marked by humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance. And it is to be practiced in chapter 4, verse 3, the diligent pursuit of church unity. Chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 13 say it means yielding to the spiritual shepherds God places in our lives for equipping and teaching and instruction in the faith. Chapter 4, verse 15 says it means that together we speak the truth in love to one another. Chapter 4, verse 17 says that we are in living out a calling, a walk worthy of our calling. We are to live among but distinct from the unbelieving world around us. Chapter 4, verses 22, 23, and 24 say we are to forsake old lusts and live according to our new identity. Verse 25 says speak the truth. Verse 26, resolve your conflicts. Verse 28, share whatever it is, materially speaking, God entrusts to you. Chapter 4, verse 29, stop excusing your foul mouth. Chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, it finishes this way. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 2, love others as Jesus loves you. Verses 3 and 4, choose purity in your thoughts and in your speech. Chapter 5, verse 10, learn what pleases God and then do it. Verse 15, walk wisely. Verse 16, redeem the time. Verse 17, seek God's will. Verse 18, refuse drunkenness. Verses 19 and 20, worship, rejoice, and always give thanks. Verse 21, yield to and serve one another in love. Chapter 5, verse 22 through well into chapter 6, live these things out in the two places it's hardest, in your home and where you work. Chapter 6, verses 10 through 19, prepare yourself for spiritual battle. And verses 18 through 20, say, pray, pray, pray. Now, I get that's a lot to absorb. One of those things is enough for us to take home and work on today, much less the whole list. And frankly, all of us, if we're serious about following Jesus, are going to spend the rest of our lives on earth in pursuit of the the axios, the kind of balance that Paul is talking about here, between taking what we hear and learn and putting it into practice every day. It's a lot to absorb. So here's what I want to do for our last 10 minutes together. What I've tried to do so that I know how to apply it is is distill what is presented over the course of these six chapters and encapsulated there in chapter 4, verse 1, to three questions. Three questions of self-examination. For you and you alone, between the Lord, to examine your own heart, to figure out sort of where are you in response to this instruction, Ephesians 4, 1, and then what is it you're supposed to do about it? So three questions, ten minutes, a big idea, And then we're done. Question number one. The first question I think that this instruction asks us to wrestle with is how well am I listening to the Lord? As a believer in Jesus, as a a church attender, how well am I listening to the Lord? Let me ask you something. Does anyone besides me have the impression after the last two Sundays, one of which I was here for, the other of which I watched from my couch, but does anybody besides me have the impression Mark Moyer's been spending some time with Jesus? Uh, it, it was amazing. 
what God has been doing. And it's not just the passion with, 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 he, with which apparently COVID has affected my speech. Um, but, it was, <laughs> but it wasn't just the passion with which he spoke. It was the depth of what he was saying. What did he say? I, I think I could summarize his two messages down pretty simple. Read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Get in the Bible. Spend time with God. Let him work on your heart. And, and of the many things that I took away from that over the past couple of Sundays, uh, one of the chief thoughts that kept coming back to my mind was this, that what I saw up here those last two Sundays should be normal among the people of God. And sadly, I find it's exceptional. It's the exception rather than the rule. But what Mark was saying to us, it's not because he works for Youth for Christ. It's not because he's the chairman of a, of, a, of a Christian parachurch ministry. It's not because he's a superhero. He would tell you he's not. He's just been spending time with Jesus. Lots and lots of time with Jesus. And so what I'm saying, what that led me to conclude or to be reminded of in a very convicting way, is that a passion for time with the Lord in his word should be normal in our lives. It should be the way we aim to live. Again, Eugene Peterson is helpful in this respect when he says, quote, We must understand that the Bible is not a book to carry around and read for information on God, but a voice to listen to. For the word of God is not at root a word to be read and looked at and discussed together. It is a word to be listened to and obeyed. A word that gets us going. I like that. A word that gets us going. Now listen, I understand as well as anybody in the room, it's hard to spend time every day with the Lord. And, and it's because our lives are busy, and it's also because we have an enemy who likes to distract us. And, and, and it can be a challenge to make that time and keep that time, and then we feel guilty when we aren't consistent and all the rest. But, but can I tell you something? It's still important. And, and some of us say it's hard because it's dull and nothing really much happens. Well, you know, I spend time, I try to spend time with God every day, and not once in all my years of walking with Jesus have I heard the brush of angels' wings during my morning devotions. I've never seen a lightning bolt. I've never heard thunder roll when I read a particular verse. But I have discovered this, and I've learned it from others and found it to be true in my own experience. Listen, quality time with God, isn't that what we want? We want to make the most of it. Quality time with God, you know where it comes from? Quantity time with God. Quality time with God flows from quantity time with him. It's no different than your relationship with your spouse or your best friend. you got to dig around to get to the good stuff. you got to spend time together to go from trivial to essential. From here's how my day went to here's how my heart's doing. Quality time flows from quantity time. And that's why I believe we should take a, a verse like Jeremiah 15, 16 to heart when it says, here's Jeremiah's cry, and Jeremiah lived in times when it was really tough to walk with the Lord. He said this, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became, it wasn't instantaneous, but they became to me, what? A joy and the delight of my heart. Why? Because I have been, here's the word, called by your name. You called me, you spoke to me, I started hanging out with you, and I got really excited. My life began to change. And since the food we eat becomes the fuel we run on, here's question number two. Number one, how well am I listening to the Lord? Number two, is what I'm learning shaping how I'm living? Is Because that's the point of this verse. 
Is what I'm learning shaping how I'm living? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you, I urge you. Some translations say, I beg of you, walk. Everybody say walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Now, obviously, I've spent a lot of time looking at this verse the last couple of weeks, and, and, and God's brought all sorts of thoughts to mind, and then I've had thoughts of my own that aren't as valuable, but, but all sorts of things have run through my head. But Friday afternoon, as I was working on this point, one of them clubbed me like none of the others did, and it was this. It was simply, in a literal sense, how much of my Christian life is spent sitting down, like literally sitting in a chair, reading, studying, praying, Bible studying, debating, small grouping, Occasionally standing, as I said earlier, to sing and worship, but, but literally, the vast majority of what I would call my walk with Jesus is spent in a chair. In other words, I realize one of my pans is really full, and I bet yours is too. And that's not a bad thing, that's certainly not a wrong thing, but what Ephesians 4.1 says is, hey, rise and Walk. Take what you're learning. You've been given so much. You already know stuff. Yes, one more Bible study might be fun, but it might be time to not do one more Bible study. Keep doing what you're already doing and go serve the Lord. Go put it into practice. Go find somebody who doesn't know anything about him. I love to study God's word. I love to learn new stuff. I love to share it with you. But one of my pans is fuller than the other we got to rise and walk. That doesn't mean, we, again, we, it doesn't mean we stop listening. It doesn't mean we stop sitting. But I think it would be naive for any of us to think that there isn't at least something in our lives that we've learned from God that we haven't put into practice yet. But that's what he's calling us to do. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Is what you're learning shaping how you're living that's where the magic happens. How do your scales look today? And what needs to happen to bring them into axios? Third and final question, and this is not apparent. The other two you could probably have, you know, guessed at yourself. The third one isn't, but it is all over the book of Ephesians. Question number one, how well am I listening to the Lord? Question number two is what I'm learning, shaping how I'm living. Question number three, am I committed to doing life together? Am I committed to doing life, this life, this call, this responsibility together? You know, I didn't mention it earlier. I, I, I intended to, but I didn't. I said we're looking at one verse of Scripture today, right? Well, if you look, at, with, with a couple of, of, of exceptions in the English... But, but, but the truth of the matter is most of our English translations show that though this is one verse we're looking at, it's not even a complete sentence. That what Paul started to say in verse 1 wasn't the whole story. There's more to it. So I want you to look back at your Bible wherever you put it aside, pick it back up, and follow along as I read you the complete sentence of what he originally said. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, with that in mind, I want you to jump back up to what Paul said right before Ephesians 4.1. 
in, in chapter 3, because in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, he prays a prayer. In fact, one of you sent this to me this week, texted it to me, and it was so encouraging to my heart just to get this and go, hey, that's where we're going this week, and I really needed to hear it. But he talks about unity flowing from this. Look at what he prayed for right before it. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now here's what I want you to know, and you've heard me say this before. All the yous in Ephesians are plural. Okay, this isn't for you to, to, to take into your closet and apply to yourself. It is, as I've said before, all y'all. Okay, everybody. Here goes. That he would grant all of you, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in all y'all's hearts through faith. And that all y'all, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, parenthetically, together with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, so that all of you all may be filled to the fullness of God. You keep reading backwards. And you can keep going forwards. You will not escape the theme of unity in the letter of the Ephesians. I don't think there's probably a sentence that doesn't refer to it in some way. And so based on that, let's get one thing really clear. Okay? One thing very, very clear about what we have been looking at this morning. The call to rise and walk. Listen to me. Look at me. It is a call to rise and walk together. It is a call to rise and walk Together, once more, at the risk of overkill, listen to Eugene Peterson, quote, What we must not do, in light of Ephesians 4.1, is deliberately exclude others from our worship, or worship selectively only with like-minded friends. For these are not options on offer in Ephesians. Maturity, Peterson says, develops in worship as we develop in friendship with the friends of God, not just our preferred friends. Worship shapes us, not only individually, but as a community, as a church. And if we are going to grow up into Christ, we have to do it in the company of everyone who is responding to the call of God. Whether we happen to like them or not has nothing to do with it. Thus, you know what walking together means? A, it means we need to be adaptable. It means we must be adaptable in our relationships with one another. Simply put, the pace at which I go for a walk with my almost two-year-old grandson is very different than the pace I go for a walk with my wife. And frankly, it took us a long time to figure out how to take a walk together, right? It isn't always easy. But I have to adapt to the one I'm with, who may be smaller and weaker, who may be bigger and stronger, who may be hurting and stumbling and need me to carry them, or I may need them to help carry me. We've got to be adaptable. B, it means we have to be teachable. Because in addition to coming alongside one another, maybe shortening our stride, there are going to be times, or at least there should be, in the body of Christ, when a brother or sister comes to you and challenges you to kick it up a notch, to pick up your pace. Hey, you've been here for a while, been hanging out for a while, I love you, you're a lot of fun. How about we figure out what your gift is and put it into practice? How about you join us and pray every week or so? How about we dig into something together or go serve someone together? And you know what? As, as right as we know that sort of thing is, a lot of us get kind of pushed back on our heels. When some, what, what do you mean? I'm not doing enough? Uh, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm here. God loves me. I'm, I'm living my... 
listen, we've got to be teachable. I don't know everything and neither do you. And if somebody comes along and says, hey, let's quicken the pace, be teachable, be willing to walk with them. Thirdly and finally, it also means, above all, that we must be humble. Because guess what? We step on each other's feet a lot. You know, I hear people say, and I've been hearing it a lot in recent months, even recent years, I, I've never been hurt as bad as I've been hurt in the church. And, and, and I don't trivialize or minimize that in, in, in most cases. But there's a logic that says, well, but that's because in the church is where you spend most of your time. Right? It's where your relationships are. And the closer you get, it's also true of your family. Nobody's hurt you like your family's hurt you, and you love them to death. Why? Because you spend time with them. It's only natural. We're going to step on each other's feet, figuratively, literally, spiritually. We're going to mean to do it. We're going to not mean to do it, but it's going to happen. But you know what doing life together means? You know what walking axios of the calling with which you have been called means? It means you commit yourself to the hard work of reconciliation, not the, the, the quiet rebellion of separation. Well, they'll sit on their side and I'll sit on mine. And when I'm ready, I'll talk to them, which usually means never. Worse yet, it means that when life gets hard, you don't run for the door. You need to come back in. And if God leads you out the door at some point, at least you go in peace. That's unity. Unity is messy. It's hard. But it's essential. You know, for many years, you've heard me say, and others have said it from this spot as well, that it is impossible to truly encounter Jesus and remain unchanged. I still believe that with all my heart. But you know what else I've observed more recently? I've observed it's, it is possible to encounter Jesus and remain unmoved. And, and all of us, myself included, we do it every week. We hear, we learn, we absorb, and then we revert back to whatever we were doing before 1030 on Sunday morning. It's, it, 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 it's part of our, our fallen nature. The scales aren't balanced. Things get out of whack. And that's why the big idea of today's message, and I hope you hear this in the best spirit possible, is simply this. Let's get a move on. Let's get a move on. Let's take what God gives us and put it into practice. Let's take what he's showing us and apply it. Again, not someday, but today. Why? To glorify God. Why? For your own good. Why? So that somebody else can see the life of Jesus replicated in you and go, well, maybe that's what I need to. It's all about drawing near to Jesus. It's all about walking with Jesus. It's all about the one who is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. Is he worthy? He is. Let's rise and walk. Father, Father, we love to study your word. We love to learn from you. We love to learn of you from one another. Your word is a gift that we will never fully plumb the depths of. And we want to keep doing that, but at the same time, Father, I think we all, to some degree, without being presumptuous, must confess we know a whole lot more than we do. And, 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 and Lord, I know that in my life it is easier to read another book and do another study and listen to another sermon than it is to rise and walk. But you've called us to rise and walk. You've challenged us to balance the scales. 
You said take what you know and, and do something with it. And, and trust God. Trust you for the results. Father, it's so simple and yet it is also at times so hard. Father, I pray that what we've heard today, whatever has either encouraged or stung our hearts, or that we would understand that that may well be the touch of the Holy Spirit, challenging us, encouraging us, redirecting us as the case may be. Father, help us even. Maybe our step today is just to simply respond and, and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for the fact that I've been doing it my own way, according to my own wisdom, whatever it is, Lord. And to know that, we heard earlier, we are, we are loved so deeply by you that you don't come to shame us, you come to change us. You love us so much. Father, I pray today, as, as we always seek to pray here, that the things of, of truth we have heard, that you would seal them to our hearts. The things that are the flesh, the things that are distracting, the things I said that make no sense, Father, that they will be forgotten. So that we will leave today looking to you only, rejoicing in you only, and determined to live for you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen.